0: turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Richard Hewitt of Beachside Dental Consultants. Richard started in his hometown of Maine 32 years ago. He built a practice from scratch where he averaged 50 new patients a month. After nine years, he sold it and moved to Florida. Smart man right there. And he, where he successfully bought and merged four existing practices into one. He produced, produced in the top 20% nationwide on a 150 day work year. And so Richard has a lot of really cool things to talk about, a lot of wisdom to share. Richard, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure being with you. Thank you for having me on. Sure thing. So, out of school, you went to the military and then you started practicing yep. in Maine. So kind of walk us through your
2: story. You know, I'd like to add in there that, you know, between my junior and senior years that summer, the prime interest rate, New York prime, was 18.3%. So when we talk about inflation today, I lived it. I looked at that interest rate and said, you know, I better start looking at alternatives for when I get out of dental school.
1: (laughs) Smart man. You know, it's funny, we're panicking over a 4% interest rate on the Fed funds rate right now. It's exactly. like uh, we had free money for a decade, and all of a sudden now it costs something. We're panicking. But anyway, so you started in Maine, and you built a practice for nine years, and you sold it. Can I tell, walk us through that story? So basically, I also bought some practices in Maine, too, but I started from scratch. And uh,
2: you know, I always tell people, don't be too impressed by the 50 new patients a month. I was the new person in town, so I pretty much got everybody else's, you know, maybe possibly uh, rejected patients, if you will. It did a lot of emergencies, but I noticed everybody took Wednesdays off. So I said, well, it looks like I'll be working Wednesdays. And maybe I'll just take Friday afternoon off. So that was like by luck. That was like one of my first good business moves because I was usually busy on Wednesday and saw a
1: lot of emergencies and picked up some great patients on those days. So after nine years, you said, I'm tired of snow. I want to move to the sun and you move to Vero Beach, Florida. Is that right? Right, yeah. So I had a I had a uh, conversation when, with my
2: accountant, and he says you realize that you're spending six to eight thousand dollars a year on continuing education, and they're mostly uh, they're mostly courses in Florida. Did you ever think about maybe it'd be a little cheaper to take those courses if you live there? So uh, I took him up on it.
1: <laughs> Smart man, and you saved some tax money too. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So now talk about. You're starting from scratch again, basically, to a degree. So, what was that process like kind of moving across the country uh, and and starting over?
2: Well, outside of the fact that at that time I had to, you know, actually literally sit for a new exam in Florida, you know, a couple years before that. So, I always tell people, you got to plan ahead for this. You know, that was a four year window. I actually sat down and took the licensing boards, and it's totally different today. So, I can't, this advice, I'm this what I'm saying right now is not relevant to the new dentist. But basically, I had about a four-year window where, I, you know, my wife and I said, OK, got to, you know, we're going to sell the practice. We're going to sell the house. You're, we're going to get you a, a job transfer. So whenever you're talking about that kind of process, moving from state to state, you're looking at about a four to five-year window, which is exactly what we did. And uh, I had an associate at the time, and we engaged in a contract easily a year out before I, I moved. And it was a very smooth transition. He was a good dentist. And Jim kept most of my patients. After the fact, I did some, you know, I went back and talked to him. And I would say he retained over
1: 90% of my patient base up there. So it was a win-win for both. Oh, That's great. So you end up coming down and you bought and merged four practices. That sounds really impressive. Talk about that.
2: Well, one thing that I'd like to tell all the young dentists out there is I wouldn't recommend a scratch practice for anyone unless there was literally not a dentist in that town or the numbers just made sense. When I came down to Florida, I mean, I worked with a practice broker and did the transition and I bought an existing practice
1: and improved on that. Let's stop. Stop right there, because you're saying don't start from scratch. Because you're going to spend a bunch of money on build-out, on equipment, on all that stuff. And that same amount of money you could use to buy an existing practice where you already have a patient list, whether they're they good or bad or whatever, it's you're spending money either way. It's a better use of money to buy a practice. Is that what you're saying? You're absolutely right, Ross. It's all about cash flow at the beginning. You know, when
2: you have an existing practice, you've got a stream of cash coming in. And you made a good point there about, you know, regardless about the types of patients and stuff. And I always tell people, don't, don't be, you know, don't fret about the equipment, what it looks like, et cetera, et cetera. All those things can be improved and changed over time. Your goal is to get in there, establish a practice, retain the cash flow,
1: retain the patients, and generate new patients from those patients. Makes sense. So you went in there, you bought a practice, Where are the other three practices come into play?
2: Okay. So the next one was an easy one and it sort of kind of fell in my lap. He was a general dentist, you know, very close nearby. And he was going back to endo school and he was selling his practice. We absorbed his, we absorbed his patients. We took him into our practice. And more importantly, uh, we retained his staff, including a great hygienist and a good chair side person and and uh, that doctor worked with me for about three or four months before he went off to do his endodontic program. So the patient, there again, when you have a transition like that, the patients tend to stay with the practice when they ease in like that. They came and they were seeing him at the end, he finished off his big cases and it was a nice, smooth, easy
1: transition. All right, right so, so now you have two. Right. What, is, what did three and four look like?
2: So three is a simple one. Uh, the doctor just wanted to move to the West coast of Florida. And, you know, you know, Florida as well as I do. Uh, you know, some people get tired of seeing sunrises. So now they want to see sunsets. <laughs> he moves over to the West coast and uh, he had a smaller practice, but again, he worked for me for about four or five months. And then this are pretty funny when they sell their practices and they, and somebody takes over the management of it. Somehow they get really productive. And it was a great for me because it was basically he was occupying my empty chairs and bringing in patients. And obviously I was paying him a salary, but I was getting the benefits from that increased cash flow. The fourth and final was a good one, was a a class of 1951 Northwestern dental school grad. And uh, he was just at the age, at the tender age of 70, deciding he was going to hang it up. And he was thrilled, A, that he was selling it to somebody with prior military experience, and B, somebody that actually went to his dental school. who's a great dentist, had a pretty decent recall, you know, for somebody in that age bracket. And again, we bought, we got some uh, staff members, and his patients were marvelous. I mean, really well-educated, well-used to comprehensive dentistry. And that was like gravy off the top, I really... Really enjoyed working with him, and he and he only
1: practiced with me for two months. And so you had four practices; you rolled into one. Now, did you have one location? Did you have two locations? Did you have four locations? What'd you have? I always kept one location. It's it's it it's getting to be a little difficult juggling
2: it. And I, but if you do have distance problems, I recommend that you know you would probably have more than one location. The last uh, practice, the gentleman was on the beach side of uh, of Vero Beach. So I actually physically moved to practice. I needed a new space. I expanded it. And uh, that actually helped because some of his older patients really didn't want to go too far, which is another factor when you're buying practices. You know, where are your patients coming from? You need to do zip code searches, et cetera, et cetera, to figure out where
1: these people are coming from. So, You produced at the top 20% nationwide on 150-day work here. Now, four days a week, 150 days is 37 and a half weeks. So that's basically 15 weeks off, which is basically almost four months off a year. A lot of people would probably be, are probably envious of hearing that. Talk about how you were able to do that. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I really hear from a lot of young dentists. And I'm sure you've heard this, too,
2: about this work-life balance that they all want. Well, I got to tell you,
1: you know. Make, it, uh, make enough money where you can do what you want, then you can have work-life balance. Isn't it amazing how that works, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's like, you know, when you're in private
2: practice and you're whether you're solo or group and you've got that kind of control over your schedule, that's a work-life balance. And, you know, the way you have to do that is when you're in the office – you are running like a banshee. I mean, you're in there to produce and you're not there to chit-chat. And then the other time you're concentrating on uh, running the practice business-wise, but you're doing it off chair, as I would call it. And you're strategizing and you're planning forward. And obviously one of the reasons I was taking time off too is I was in the Air Force Reserves and I was involved with the Dental Association. But I found that with that kind of schedule, I was never booked out more than a week in advance. And uh, to tell you the truth, that's where I liked
1: practicing, about a week in advance. Tops. All right. So eventually you sold your practice 2008 and you started consulting. You were consulting before that, but you really didn't have time to do both. You said, OK, this is the point in my life, I'm going to start consulting. So talk a little bit about what your consulting business is like, what you focus on, how do you help people?
2: So a lot of the first initial consulting wasn't actually on site, you know, at people's offices. It was mostly a lot of it was transition. And to tell you the truth, I was helping fellow de- dentists that were in the military transition from, you know, military life to practice life. Now that financially for me, that was more of a, almost a gift to class, you know, colleagues of mine, but I I, I got pretty good at it, really helping people out. Uh, I've got a long list of people I've helped over the years, and some of them have paid me back in more than just money. Uh, I did it that way. But then I, I, I as, as my reputation got going, I started doing in-house advising or with the wonders of Zoom. I can now do that now. And I had already gone through the financial planning courses that gave me some sort of – because – invariably what happens is most people, once you get them going, Dennis, Dennis is smart people. They figure it out after a while. Sometimes they just need a push in the right direction. But then what I used to tell them is like, okay, you've got the operations figured out. What are you going to do with the financial part? And that's where I worked with their partners. You know, if they already had CPAs or CFPs, I would, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'll work with any of your people. I'll work with your state attorney. I'll work with any of it because I had the, I had the financial language behind me and the knowledge, but I felt, well, they need somebody probably, especially if I'm dealing with people away from me, this is, you know, maybe they need to be handed off to their local advisors who all, you know, who probably were giving good advice to begin
1: with. So what are the challenges that you see dentists facing today? There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. What are what are the biggest challenges you're seeing? I think the biggest challenges is the, you know, I always tell people, you know, it,
2: buying a practice or setting up solo or, you know, just doing private practice as a whole today is sort of like trying to eat an elephant, you know, how to eat an elephant, you do it one bite at a time. And I think it's overwhelming for a lot of young, young dentists. Now, a lot of them about, you know, according to the ADA statistics, probably about 30% of our dentists coming out of dental schools will try the the DSL route or try ships because they really literally need to get their feet wet. And uh, they, once they do that, they still realize a lot of dentists are entrepreneurial and spirit and they still realize, you know, Hey, I really want, I want to be doing this, you know, on my own or with a, a group of like-minded individuals. And there's plenty of room in dental dentistry right now, even though there's a lot of consolidation consolidation, I'd still
1: say that, you know, the opportunities are still there. You just have to look a little harder. Well, you brought up the DSO world, and that's obviously kind of a polarizing topic. Do you have uh, any opinions on selling to a DSO versus not selling to a DSO and, and all that?
2: So actually, I've actually worked for a DSO, and that was in the 2012 time, because I was actually helping a friend. He's the one that sold to the DSO. And they convinced him that you know he should bring me on part-time just to help him out because that their model uh, existed, that what existed was a, a two-person model. And I found out and I learned a lot from what they were doing. The selling process is pretty interesting because they go with the EBITDA formula, which is earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. And they initially may offer you more money than you could get
1: for a private sale, well, they beat, but, but they beat you down. They're going to offer you X, but by the time it's all over, it's 70% of X. You're, you're right on the money.
2: I, 70 to 80% is the, is the uh, formulas that I've seen. And basically what you're doing is you're earning your own 20% because they, set, they now set new production goals, which are significantly higher than what you produced at. And it goes counter to what you're doing, to what, like I did in 2008. You know, I was already working 150 days. So if I sold to a DSO at that time, the only thing they would have wanted me to do is work more
1: days. That's not what I wanted to do right. So it's not for everybody. Right. So if you were selling today, would you sell to a DSO where you're likely going to get more or would you sell to a, maybe call it pay it forward and sell to an associate? Or would you sell to someone moving to the area? What, what would you do?
2: I think the best advice I can give somebody at this point in time is I would, you know, certainly run the numbers with your financial people. Have them take a look at them. And if your goals are more important, what's your time frame? We just talked earlier in the show about a four-year time frame before you do any of this. What are you doing in those four years? How, is, how are you setting up your practice? So you may or may not be able to get as many people interested. in in buying your practice. But there are enough dentists out there that are looking for opportunities. And you may consider, instead of a DSO, selling to a a group of large, uh, you know, a a bunch of dentists that are looking to gather extra
1: practices. Well, that's one thing you're seeing. You're seeing dentists kind of creating many DSOs in scenarios. Yeah, I've talked to a dentist who sold to a DSO at, say, 46, 47 years old. And I said, uh, what are you going to do with your life now? Because retirement is is kind of a myth for those who don't know. Um, And he says, I'm going to manage my investments. And I looked at him and I said, you ain't that rich. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I find
2: that interesting that, that somebody would think that that's a 40 hour a week job, you know, considering Uh you, you, you know, you know, what it takes to manage your clients and how much time it takes you per client. Right. And since we both live in Florida, you know, that, you know, life on the golf course seven days a week isn't exactly desirable for a,
1: a lot of people either. No, that's that's a recipe to die early. So, how are you coaching your clients through this challenging uh, employment situation of, of uh, attracting and retaining staff? What's the solution? Is there one there?
2: Well, you brought up a really good point because of workforce issues are nationwide. Everybody is everybody is uh, is looking for employees. There are a lot more temp agencies now that help out. So you can tap those. And I have a list of those that I provide my clients with that are reputable. The days of putting it out on, uh, you know, even putting it out like in Glassdoor and Indeed and places like that, you're you're probably not going to get that many bites. Everybody has a shortage. There's some areas of the country that are sh- more short than others. Obviously, uh, in Florida, we have the luxury of people streaming into our state. I mean, they may be temporarily streaming out on the West Coast right now, but it's all, they're all coming back. And uh, so, in some states it's going to be easier to find people than in other states. Merging practices, like I said, you you pick up people, and uh, the other thing is offer a good pay package. You know, you got to look at benefits, you got to look at stuff like that, and that's where financial planning comes into uh,
1: into play. No, I've, I've talked with clients who basically have had, are going to have to start offering benefits and increasing pay to stay competitive, and they're reluctant to do it, but they know they have to because it's going to – and that's just the reality. So when you bring a new client on to your consulting practice, what's the first thing that you look at? I don't look at any numbers per se on the first pass.
2: I like to know where they're at, what their goals are looking out for five years – and what do they envision themselves doing in dentistry? And you get a tremendous, as you know, you have clients like this, you know, you get a tremendous amount of answers, you know, as far as the variety. And some people will tell you, Rick, I just want to bury my head in dentistry. I want to do that. And I want to come home. And I don't want to think about dentistry until Monday. And I usually tell those people, nice to have but work-life balance usually doesn't work that
1: way. You have to stay engaged. What's the number one advice or, or what's the advice that you give most commonly? Like if you see 10 clients, you're given the same advice, at least on this one thing to seven out of 10. What is it?
2: What's your retirement plan as far as like, what are you saving? What kind of vehicles are you using? You know, what's your, you know, are you... You know, are you inheriting a ton of money in, in 10 years? I have to know a little bit. You have to pry a little bit in terms of what's going on in the rest of their life. You know, because is your partner working full time for the rest of their life? And then there's children involved. You have to really, you try not to pry in terms of personal information. But as you know, some of that information is very important
1: if you're going to give the right financial advice. Oh, absolutely. And the reality is some people haven't done a good job saving, so they have to sell to a DSO. Some people have done a good job saving and they don't they, they want to pay it forward to an associate. And so that changes everything. Uh you you ideally don't want to have all of your wealth wrapped up in uh in your practice, but sometimes that happens. So as we kind of wrap up here, come to a close, what kind of parting advice would you give? To uh, somebody who's listening here today, whether they're you know 50 years old or whether they're 30 years old just starting out, or whether or where maybe they're in dental school, what what would you say? Well, I guess since I experienced this inflation back in the you know early in my career,
2: I'd say you know we'll get through this. You know we're going to get you know there will be some rough times in the economy. Dentistry tends to lag a little bit when the economy comes back. Right now it's going pretty good because it's such a backlog. Due to COVID, however, that quickly may stop. Uh, you know, dentistry is for the most part discretionary income when it comes to people spending it, and if they don't have insurance coverage, a lot of them will will forego it. So I would say stay on your plan. Make sure you save anywhere from ten to fifteen percent of your personal money, and uh, keep going. Don't be afraid of the stock market. You should be. Uh, you know, as a thirty-year-old, I'd say. Your exposure to equities should probably be in a 90% range and just don't look backwards. You know, you will, it will come around. And uh, I think you stay on a path, but you, you got to get good financial advice and I'm really happy to be a guest on this program because you've got the right idea. It is,
1: it is a flossing philosophy when it comes to financial advice. It's a pun, but it's true. So Richard, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, there's two ways they can Look at my website if they want to see what kind of services
2: I offer, and that's militarydentist.com. The basic email that I use is drhewitt at bellsouth.net. Spell your,
1: yeah, spell that.
2: Yeah, it's D-R-H-U-O-T at bellsouth, all one word, dot net. And uh, that'll get you through. And there's also
1: uh, an email link on the website that they can use. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's, it's been a fascinating conversation. Well, thank you, Ross. I've really enjoyed this uh, episode. It was great. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross
0: Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit RossBrannon.com.
3: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers of their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Paz, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. External sites and materials are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, (PAS OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311 850 562 9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is the wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License, 1613 9032. California Insurance License, 0L 10073. 2022-144712 expires 1024.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c suiteradiocom